Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Your show has been riding a fad with this powered people thing, and fads fade. The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 202, a.k.a. Freak Accident, is brought to you by Emile's Treats. Try our new mouse variety. I have to say, Pete, that, uh, that that line there does cut close to home. Will the superhero fad end one day? Certainly, let's, uh, let's hope not. Certainly, superheroes aplenty having come off our uh, visit to the Paley Center's evening with Jessica Jones, as well as the recent 100th episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Pete, the powers are everywhere. I don't see this as a fad, nor do I see it fading, Matt. And as long as it's going on, Fantastic Geek will be there to bring it to you. Well, it's time for some surveillance. Let's talk about what the episode was all about. Jessica Jones has spent the night drinking, reflecting on IGH and breaking glasses. She ends up in a bathroom stall, having a meaningless liaison with a man. He's close, she's not, so out he goes. Malcolm calls with an update about the IGH building. It was leased by a Dr. Kozlov. Malcolm is up late, working the case, keeping busy. It's an attic thing, though he does get interrupted by MCU Tinder text. Later, we see Malcolm getting out of bed with such a lady. Jessica takes a cab to the cushy suburban home uh, of Kozlov, searching for him. There looks to be private security around, but instead it is the assembled family and friends of the late, dead Dr. Kozlov. She snoops around, finding a picture of Kozlov with Will Simpson. Isaiah, an amputee and former soldier, finds her. They agree that Kozlov wasn't killed in an accident, and after a tussle, Isaiah blames Will G.D. Simpson. In her car, Hogarth is reflective and tuned out, presumably after hearing the bad news from her doctor. She picks up a lady of the night, or morning. Uh, it's kind of more brunch time, but the two end up in Jerry's apartment with even more girls, more drugs, more dancing. All of it, Pete, I think, underpay. Elsewhere, Trish and Griffin are at breakfast, but it's actually meant to be a mother-daughter brunch as the affable Brit charms Dorothy after she arrives. Trish's mom calls the radio show a fad. You gotta get Griffin to put a ring on it. But Trish has met her with an ulterior motive. She wants Max's contact info. Trish leaves, saying Jessica wouldn't want to know about all this and Will Simpson, taking his inhaler, watches as she leaves. Jessica returns to her apartment, her brother's ashes now cleaned up. She does an expositional Google search to recap us on Will Simpson. Then, detectives Sunday and Costa arrive concerning the wizard's death. She goes to Oscar for corroboration, but he says he's seen nothing. JJ gets into the apartment of Robert Coleman, a.k.a. the wizard. His mongoose is on the loose in a strange and creepy scene that ends with Jess stealing his laptop for his videos just as the NYPD arrives. Jessica ends up back at her home, first berating Oscar for not having backed her up. He says he was just trying to protect his son and the custody he has of his son. 
In her office, Jessica figures out the wizard. He was posting videos to Trish Talk. Trish is the connection. Jessica goes to Trish's apartment. She's not there, but a concerned Griffin is. Jessica will find Trish, stopping first at Dorothy's apartment, then off to Greenpoint Studios. Hey, that's where Trish and Malcolm have met, on a movie set to talk to director Max, specifically in his trailer. They do talk, Trish wanting access to uh, Metro General, and recount the fact that Max and her were intimate when he was 40 and she was 15. Malcolm records this from an unseen area of the trailer. Later, Malcolm confronts Max uh, after being told that Patsy crawled into bed with the director. This while Trish is confronted by Simpson, who takes a bullet in the leg and keeps on going. Eventually, Jessica arrives, finding blood, then Trish and Simpson on stage 12. He says he's been protecting Trish and didn't kill Kozlov, nor the wizard. The lights go out. The monster is here. Simpson is freed and given his inhaler, but after someone, something, runs and jumps over Jessica and Trish, jumps way over them, the two find Simpson, neck twisted, very dead. It takes a monster to stop a monster. He just wasn't the right monster. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, where will we start? Let's begin, Matt, with Isaiah, the expandable baton-wielding amputee. He he plays an interesting role in this episode. He's in opposition to our hero, so that makes him a bad guy, right? But he seems to be protective of Kozlov, who seemed to go after our hero, so that still makes Isaiah a bad guy, right? Uh, but he also apparently has misidentified Simpson as the... Uh, as the killer of Kozlov, of the wizard, although I don't know that Isaiah is in on the wizard stuff, but, you know, it's kind of like he is in opposition, but is he a baddie? I don't know. I also feel like there's such, there's such an interesting use of having a a character who's in a wheelchair, who is an amputee. Uh, I, I would assume we're going to see more of him. Um, just because he's a he's a notable character and trouble seems to be a brewing around him and formidable i think too in that he's able to go after jess and she's got to restrain herself at the same time yet she throws him out of the wheelchair and they have this fight um although she clearly has the upper hand but i think matt when we talk about this show and and we call this suspect segment what we do, um, it's because there's never that definitive or there's rarely that definitive black and white. His presence certainly is an interesting one. As I said, I would expect him to return, uh, particularly as we go down this rabbit hole of Kozlov did this, no, somebody else did this. How much of that do you believe? How, you know, what is Kozlov's role in IGH? Um, as you have stated a number of times in prior podcasts, Pete, there is this slight procedural nature to the show. Obviously, not you know as procedural as you know a, a Law and Order or something like that, where it's a. We will have the false suspect arrested in Act Four. <laughs> yeah, nothing quite like that, but certainly uh, Isaiah here aiding that that slow 
investigation that's going on in the background, despite the ups and downs of each episode and, you know, gunfire and Greenpoint Studios and Dorothy and things like that. So time will tell on this suspect, Pete. We just got to we got to we got to keep an eye on him a little longer. Similarly, so with Dorothy, you know, somebody that we came obviously to mistrust in the first season, but here Trish has let her back into her life. They're back on brunch terms, Matt. She got her brunch terms restored, uh, yet she's henpecking her daughter, you know, get her, get a ring on it, change your radio format, do this, do that. Clearly adversarial with uh, Jess, although she knows better uh, to fear Jess and her strength because Jess sees through her mean mom routine. It's it's so challenging to see Dorothy. I think it's it's um, wonderful story potential, but Trish is so uh, well composed as a person, put together. Uh, you know, self-determined, uh, professional, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody who is completely in charge of her own life, except when it comes to her mother who, you know, misused her daughter, who is happy to make excuses. Dorothy is happy to make excuses for this disgusting liaison between, you know, the 40 year old Max and the 15 year old Trish back in the day, you know, (laughs) how a mother can find that excusable, well, is challenging, and that's that, that takes us to Dorothy, who's not much of a mother. Um, and then it's juxtaposed with how much of this is kind of what we get story-wise in terms of Trish needs information, hence personal interaction, which makes for a great script, but Trish needs this, so she's push, pushing herself to an uncomfortable place. That much is on the surface. Also, how much of it is hey, I want to have a mom. I want to have a relationship with my mm-hmm. mother. I want to get to know her. And this could, on some subconscious level, this can be an excuse to hang out with mom and maybe we can be friends in adulthood. Nope, she still is berating me for, hey, your career is going to go down the tubes any minute. Better get married before Griffin moves on. As we learned from Runaways, Matt, and our Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek, all parents are horrible uh, people. Um, but I love the more nuanced way and, and the way that Jessica Jones forces you to think about this character and here explicitly in this episode, as we transition from Dorothy to Max, that, uh, you know, Dorothy put her daughter in this situation with this man Obviously, the bigger problem is with the man who would prey on a young woman of that age with that age differential. Um, But Dorothy did her no favors in that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good reminder that you are recasting it as, of course, Max in 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 the worst light. Uh, He's a predator. I mean, let's let's be obvious that this is an episode about monsters. And he is the monster that greets you with a smiling face. And then we have the uh, barely seen monster. And then Will Simpson's kind of in between. Not quite sure where he stands in all of this. We'll, we'll talk in the theories in a little bit. And I mean, what 
what greater damnation to Dorothy, somebody who's supposed to protect her child from the monsters in the world, and and instead, at the very least, is excusing it. And, you know, I don't know to what degree we can kind of infer in our own headspace, you know, how how okay was this with Dorothy back at the time? I I personally would take the read that Dorothy was like, hey, as long as it's two consenting people in the biz and it advances the career, no problem, which, again, is not worse than Max, but is a different type of worse and certainly just as stomach-turning. Yeah, and when you're presented with Max, initially we hear about him, okay, he's a donor, then I wasn't quite sure. Um, she's going on to the movie set, and, and then everything becomes clear there. Okay, he's the director, he's making this movie, they show him with a, a young actress and meeting uh, Trish in the trailer and what Malcolm is able to record for the dirt on him surely for use later. Um, you know, it's completely contemptible. There is nothing in that situation that sides with him. There's the ethics of, of course, taping him to use for blackmail, but obviously this is the greater bad in terms of the damage he inflicted on Trish. Trish, who hasn't had a drink in 10 years, so clearly alcohol was part of the equation, the poor parenting from her mother, and then the predatory behavior by this dirtball. Pete, surely we must also talk about uh, a dirtball of the more uh, the more fictional variety. This barely seen monster, very very With well edited scene. Ups man who jumps, I think he jumped through and out of the building. <laughs> uh, Pete, is this is this uh, Toad from the X Men, and were they were they uh, were they presupposing the Disney Fox merger and and. Uh, I don't know, this is the beginning of it all. That would have been slightly premature. I do not think that this is Toad. <laughs> um, certainly, though, that, that monster, let me put it this way, from the story terms, kudos to the fact that you know we're iffy on Simpson at the end of last season, uh, more than iffy. Uh, and then you know he's kind of creeping everybody out for the glimpses we saw in the first episode and in this episode. Then... As as closely as you could have it, um, or as clearly as you could have the case made, it's clear before they leave that um, that kind of bedroom set on stage twelve. Okay, he has been following her to protect her. He is keeping an eye out. There is some other force out there. Um, again, it's kind of convincingly made. Could they do a switcheroo later on? Sure, but Will Simpson hero. Well whoever killed the hero now is the villain. And again, we certainly could have more of that subtlety, but monster bad for, you know, made very, very clear at the end of this episode. Looking forward to talking more about whatever, whoever it is. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. What are we working on, Pete? Well, Matt, uh, as I identified to you uh, in our post Paley uh, nosh in the city, um, there are some issues that stand out in this episode that that kind of need to be discussed. The first being Jessica in Josie's drinking 
and other things at 4 a.m.? Well, first of all, Pete, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which end to, to, to pick up on, but let's just say this. <laughs> let's just say this. First of all, if you're going to make poor choices, make sure that you're doing so safely with yes. protection, etc. cetera. Uh, so, so at least we have that PSA out of the way. Um, I did look up the blue laws for New York City. Uh, bars can serve alcohol until 4 a.m. They can remain open but not serve alcohol until uh, the time when you can start to serve alcohol again. Good news, Pete. You can start drinking in NYC at 7 a.m. Unless it's a Sunday, then bars can serve at noon. So Three hours to recover there. I mean, give us a, hey, this is your last call, then the liaison, then she makes the phone call and just – I don't know. From like a logistic standpoint, it felt it felt excessive. I will say, and maybe this isn't quite. I suppose it could be cryptology in that we are looking not at a story theory, but rather deeper into the mind of Jessica Jones. When the guy compliments her on her derriere and she turns around, I was all set for like, yeah, girl power. She's gonna put him through a window or something. And instead, it's the sadder result, which right. is this this meaningless tryst in a bathroom stall you know of all places and pete we're not here to tell people who they can and can't stup and and the circumstances under which they might do so but i think we can be a little judgmental with you know figurative bitter alcoholic characters where we can say this is not a good moment here for her as a person this is her reaching out and desperately not getting a lot back clearly she makes reference to not getting the physical end but also just there's this you know clearly it's not doing anything for her emotionally either and it's a sad moment as much as it is like oh yeah crazy stuff it still is just this sad moment for her as a person it's the worst of all worlds and she's united in this episode with jerry in where she goes and they get nothing out of it. it. It's not fulfilling. So, you know, the, the, the safety PSA, yes. How about the emotional PSA that nothing good comes out of these hookups? Well, let's stick with Jerry for a moment. Somebody who is so presents herself as so composed. Now, of course, mm -hmm. we've seen her um, act irresponsibly. I mean sleeping with your assistant uh, while married there's enough boss subordinate stuff there there's enough you know breaking the the the, the notion of marriage there um so we know that she's able to i don't want to say something as pithy as let loose but she's you know she's she's not always this ultra composed person which a is fine in real life and b makes for a really fascinating character but i was surprised beyond belief that somebody of her prominence, somebody of her, um, you know, just existing in the public eye, would pull over, catch the eye of a of a prostitute, and and take her home. Now that said, we know plenty of, not not personally, but we know in the news, we all kind of in the collective know know of people who do things not dissimilar to this. But right. it did surprise me. Hey, good news, Pete. Uh, the 15th episode of Jessica Jones, I'm still surprised by this character who I thought I knew. That's good writing. It is. And clearly a super weak moment, having just endured New York City traffic 
<laughs> as we're recording this, uh, you know, the day after we were in the city for uh, the cast at Paley, um, that she's blocking the uh the the lane there and then the guy comes by and honks her and she pulls over she's not taking price chang's phone calls and you know it it's a confluence of events that leads her you know had there not been a woman there is she making that decision probably not um she clearly regrets it by the end of the arrangement with the two other women who wind up in her home. And, uh, now it's something that price Chang knows about, and we know that he is less than ethical. So Matt, what's the, uh, episode count until he's using this against her? Well, I think it's probably pretty darn close. And I will say that the use of Chang in this episode really, really is wonderful. Uh, you know, here we are, we're talking about Jessica and Jerry, both um, kind of uh, slightly unraveling or being less composed, having these moments where, where they're not as composed. We've only seen uh, from, from Cheng his composed nature, which I think is so great. You know, we talked for the, for the uh, 201 episode, how, whether it's the actor or the character, I don't know, but you know, here he is, he's kind of tattooed, he's walking around in you know, kind of more casual clothing, but the, as a character, he, he seems so tightly wound. He always shows up on time. He's always on time. He's always punctual. And there's this kind of notion of, uh, of he's so composed like that. And when he shows up at Jerry's, I mean, kudos to actor Terry Chen. He kind of takes the peek in and he says, oh, and I'm going to overemphasize here because I'm no Terry Chen, but he says, oh, looks like I've ended up at the tail end of things. And it's kind of this, this slam, you know, clearly the party yeah. is on its, uh, is waning, but also just a little bit of slam as to the the quality of a visitor there, um, and just, I mean, this is a guy where you cannot imagine him getting getting emotionally close to somebody in a relationship, let alone paying for it, and it's just it's a great scene with him. It is two quick hits from me, Matt. Uh, so Jess winds up at Kozlov's house. She sees the security. Turns out it's a funeral. There's people sitting Shiva. Uh, but do they not have newspapers and obituaries in the Marvel Cinematic Universe Netflix uh, New York City corner? Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, now I understand. Because you made that comment out of, context, out of my context when I had not seen the episode. So you're saying that in the course of the briefest Google search for Dr. Kozlov, it would have shown up, you know, prominent New York uh, doctor, you know, passes away. Freak uh, accident? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think. Come on. Uh, Jess was getting notifications from morgues in season one to see if uh, Albert, Kilgrave's father, was turning up. Uh, you can't set your alerts for Kozlov. That felt really poorly followed up on. I will overall agree with you. I will just offer maybe, maybe there's some like wacky stuff in the news that's that's gobbling up real news. You know, maybe there's some sort of uh, you know some sort of carnival act that is that is gobbling up real news. 
Um, and, Are you and, telling me that maybe uh, President, who's the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, president again? Uh, Ellis. If he President was... Ellis is going to meet with Thanos to talk about, uh, <sighs> you know, the the WMDs. Um, maybe Pete. Maybe maybe there's going to be a uh, a uh, I don't know, like a, like a YouTube uh, something with with President Ellis and Thanos as they have a sit down. Who can say, Pete? Certainly I cannot. Who was in bed with Malcolm, Matt? And did you notice the painting, the mural on the wall as he put his clothes on? Um, I did not notice the mural on the wall. I did notice the lovely mural on her back, which now has me reassessing uh, my, my general stance on tattoos. Um, I have no idea who it is. I, I think that one of the um, one of the gifts and one of the burdens of this episode is that this is the first episode of the rest of the season, which is to say, you know, the first episode back had to reestablish some things and kick right. things off, and now this episode has the has the job of take the momentum from the first episode and really, you know, kind of boil things down. So now we can say, oh man. The killer monster has been identified. It's not Will Simpson. It's the person who's killed three people, whatever that was, and has to do all these things to propel into future episodes. That's not to say I'm down on this episode, but clearly, as we explore Malcolm's uh, addictive personality and his attempts to stay clean, stay sober, to find positive things to be, quote-unquote, addicted to, like his work... um, here would be my supposition, Pete, that this is more than a sometimes friend, a sometimes whatever, you know, that, that this this could be the beginning of a, of a downward arc for him, possibly. I feel bad for Malcolm. I dig it for the show because I think that's a really interesting journey to take him on um, as somebody who's not super powered and somebody who can be more than, I'm her assistant in the Defenders. I will share information in the police station with the other assistant level uh friends uh, as we are sequestered here while the defenders go out and defend and i think too the way you have him taking the phone call from trish as he's you know uh been laying in bed with this woman and then she changes her outfit choice initially it plays like oh is there a little something going on uh between trish and malcolm I will admit, yeah, it, it was not clear. It was not clear who who he was in bed with. And you know what, Pete? I think that's exactly what the episode wanted us to have mm-hmm. these moments of wait. What's going on? Okay, wait. There's this. Okay, and then to kind of start to get it all sorted out there. Um, it, uh, it it it's a fun, if not somewhat um, trepidatious, direction for the character to go. More fun is the octopus on the wall there, Matt. So I double down. Is Malcolm Hydra? <laughs> oh my goodness, I hope not. He's already betrayed, quote unquote, Jessica once, and that was without his knowledge because he was under the spell of Kilgrave. Pete, I can't handle him, I don't know, hugging Jessica after she has just uh, had a moment disposing, uh, if that's not the... the the most delicate word i apologize but after she has has disposed with her family members ashes and had her moment on the on the cliffside and said goodbye or whatever it might be and then he turns around and says oh, i will hug you boss and friend stab hail hydra that pete that would break my wee heart 
is his huggy kissy time friend Hydra. I hope his huggy kissy time friend is a wonderful friend where they both have a clearly defined relationship and they're getting whatever they want emotionally and physically. I hope she's not going to say, hey, while we are hugging and kissy timing, let's also do the heroin or the uh, black market inhaler that is made by IGH and IGH Co. Um, but, but I fear it is going to be, you know, the, uh, the siren song of uh, uh, of drug use uh, and i'm hopeful he will overcome well matt less silly more substantive to close it out for me is simpson who took a bullet to the leg and didn't move initially and then was on the floor bleeding uh and we last see with his neck kind of black purple and mutilated is he actually dead well, I will add to that. His neck was also looking in a way where he could see the see the collar of his shirt really well because I think it was meant to be read as his neck has been twisted around 180 degrees. I think he's dead and dead for good. Um, I think that he might be the crossbones of this story, which is to say, oh man, thus emerges... You know our our hero slash villain slash character for next time, and then quickly disposed with early on, um, which I think is a shame because I really dug him as I dug his story arc in season one as really dependable good cop, and then started to get pulled down with the the I don't know drug use power augmentation whatever you want to call it, throwing the Kilgrave factor there. Um, the flip side is I think these shows. The Marvel shows are best served. Marvel Netflix shows are best served when there's a first half and a second half and there's things constantly moving them along other than 13 episode arc um, as opposed to having a 13 episode novel have a couple of novellas that fit into the season. So I think he's probably gone as now it's like episode three really, really start to find the monster, which yes, we've been talking about for two episodes, but now it's like, totally not will simpson so you kind of buy some story time and continue to keep the momentum high let's check our mail drop and here is what you have to say pete we'll start with a tweet from our pal uh at aka frank castle that's uh, at dj underscore blak 357 uh no spoilers here out of uh out of uh aka frank castle but only uh four episodes in uh, for jessica jones but i'm ready to call this marvel's best netflix series yet with daredevil season two coming in second so good love all love the all-female writers and directors so far wish star wars had paid attention to what marvel was doing behind the scenes jessica jones for the win pete your response as the resident star wars enthusiast <laughs> i had seen that tweet and uh yeah, uh, that's high praise to say that, that this is their best. Um, I don't know where he is in the series thus far. Um, you know, we were over the moon with Punisher. I think part of that was with the the stealthy and really, unfortunately, because of the events of the real world, little bit less fanfare approach they took to that series that being said, the the return of Jessica Jones, you know, has 
really excited a lot of people. Um, as for the Star Wars thing, I mean, with John Favreau, who helped to start the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe and, uh, you know, has has done work with the Star Wars people. I mean, there are worse choices they could have made. It's not the diverse choice they should have made. And you just have to hope with him executive producing and writing that he's going to be smart and thoughtful about the people he's going to bring. However, let's remember his boss is a woman. So I, I do think they still have the commitment to diversity. Star Wars Lucasfilm is actually the only uh, situation in the business where they actively have a training pipeline for women in film. I'll say too, well, first of all, poor PR job on Star Wars' end for announcing it, <laughs> you know, announcing prominent Hollywood man in charge of, you know, Star Wars TV show, announcing that on International Women's Day. Right. But let's see where he ends up in the organizational chart. As you said, he has a female boss. I mean, let's also look at it like this. Pete, Jeff Loeb, executive producer of Jessica Jones. Okay. And in that function, he uh, hired, I mean, I know there was no show before Melissa Rosenberg, but to whatever degree he is Melissa Rosenberg's boss, he empowers Melissa Rosenberg to put this show together, to put together, you know, all these female writers, all these female directors, all these female actresses. Um, nobody at Paley was saying, oh man, Jeff Loeb is standing in the way of progress. It's Jeff Loeb is sitting there next to Allie Gloss, the, 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 the female executive from Netflix and all these, all these other women. So my point being, does John Favreau now as, as, you know, the creator of the show or whatever, does he now hire a female showrunner who now the show is going to take on her personality, her sensibilities, her whatever, who's then going to hire all these women, you know, underneath time will tell on that. Pete, speaking of some of this uh, gender stuff, uh, another, uh, another tweet here, it in emoji form, it, it six applause hands from at uh, Stanatic soldier uh, in response to doing a quote retweet in response to our tweet quoting Kristen Ritter at Paley, I'm not playing a superhero, I'm playing a woman. Uh, Pete, I'm just noticing now, by the way, that got the retweet from the Paley Center, whose tweeter was two rows in front of us. Mm -hmm. So life imitating tweet art, imitating tweet tweets. I don't even know what's going on, but <laughs> a lot of tweeting going on. It's And it's all good. Um, and again, you know, having had that experience at Paley and just the... Uh, the diverse and important nature of this show in particularly the way that she put that. Um, yeah, she's, she's playing a woman and the woman just happens to be a superhero as Melissa Rosenberg pointed out, often contempt of her powers and certainly resentful, um, a complicated character. And as Loeb pointed out, uh, this show doesn't define women by the man that they're talking about that they both want to date and the things they want to buy or the other, you know, doll eyed nonsense that some shows play up because that's what the world has told them that women are interested in watching. No women are interested in watching this kick, butt 
noir, sarcastic character that has a a best friend that uh, doesn't want to be bailed out by her anymore in a really complicated origin story loaded with mystery. And this is Timely TV in 2018. Last uh, bit from the the mail drop here from uh, Jamie Patton saying, digging the new podcast format for Jessica Jones that you teased in the uh, season two preview app. So glad Jamie's digging it, glad that our listeners are digging it. And I think that uh, not only does it it allow us to – be churning these out maybe a little bit faster but i think that it takes the focus off of oh man pete did you see the placement of the pen on her desk is that a hint that this is all existing inside the mind of a hamster you know and it lets us take a little step (laughs) back to go you know what are some of the larger issues of the day in here um explored in the episode as opposed to some of that that nitty-gritty stuff that that most of the mcu stuff is not going for ultra nitty-gritty prepare for you know prepare to follow the subplot of the person in the background or whatever it's got the issues a little higher up and we can just get straight to those issues well of course matt this podcast our visit to the paley center all of it could not be accomplished without our wonderful friends who head to patreon.com slash fantastic Indeed, they uh, they keep us going, they keep us moving, they they keep us continuing to looking to innovate. So thanks, as always, to those who have visited or will visit patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. But Pete, we keep the best treat always free. That's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,831 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. Visit FantasticGeek.com. Email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram under the Fantastic Geek moniker as well. But wait, Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it today be part of the next milestone on that behemoth social media platform pete as we conclude our uh, jessica jones premiere weekend coverage we're going to be settling into the the regular release schedule of jessica jones and uh and the podcast our podcast for it what will that release schedule be that's going to be tuesdays and thursdays matt so you're listening to us here on uh sunday uh we'll be bringing you the next episode uh episode 203 on um tuesday march 13th we will follow up with 204 on the 15th and then we'll be bringing you 205 on sunday the 18th so tuesdays thursdays sundays oh yeah and agents of shield on fridays well with that pete we'll wrap things up for this time i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word feels good to live in the present